stir the gift within you and let's minister together tonight. Praise God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 10, it says, A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided. Notice this. Anything that leaves a garden always divides. And it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of the Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Medallium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. I want to just expound on that and prayerfully, hopefully with the help of God, pull some things and exegete and take some stuff out of this text that the Bible was very much trying to tell us. And I want to reveal to you how prophetic and how profound this particular passage is, if we can but grasp it, what it would do to us going into 2022 and what it would do to our communities and even our homes and our churches, if we could just grasp this. And to get you into the trajectory of where the Holy Ghost is having me take you tonight, I want to give you the title of Go With The Flow. There is an outpouring that God is wanting to do going into the future, and He is going to pour it out. Whether I'm in it or not is entirely up to me. It is going to pour out, and I want to be right smack in the middle of it. How about you? So let's get into the flow. Can we do that right now with your hands raised? Can we just enter into the flow of the Holy Ghost? humbling ourselves, submitting ourselves to the Spirit, whatever He would have us do in this service, make yourself available to Him. God, whatever you want to do this evening, God, we're available to it. We submit ourselves unto you. In the name of Jesus, we'll give you glory, we'll give you honor. Whatever takes place in this service, I will not take credit for it. God, it belongs to you. All glory belongs to you. Whatever takes place is not a product of good preaching. God, it is a product of your spirit flowing out of people that you made holy by your spirit. God, I give myself to you this evening. Tune me into the microphone of heaven and speak through me this evening. In the precious name of Jesus, can you give the Lord a hand clap? Praise God, you may be seated. The expression, go with the flow, was first recorded to be used by the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius in his writing, The Meditations. He penned a lot about the flow of happiness and thoughts. He surmised that most things flow naturally. And in his opinion, it was better to merely go with the flow than try to change a society. You would wear yourself out, he said. It is much easier to just go with the natural flow of things. And in our culture, this phrase still exists because we, like Marcus Aurelius, are a Western society. And so we have adopted this phrase to just go with the flow. And it simply means to do whatever other people are doing in any particular situation. Don't fight against set norms, conduct, standards, or behaviors. Maintain the status quo is what this means wrapped into a nutshell to go with the flow. And this phrase is correct, and I agree with this phrase so long as we understand what the flow is. If we can understand that the Bible has a flow, then I completely implore you that you get into the flow. So do what the Bible says in any situation situation. 
Don't fight against biblical norms, but go with what the Bible set as a conduct or a standard or a behavior. Maintain a biblical status quo. So what does the Bible say about the flow? There's a powerful prophetic image in Genesis 2 of a mighty river that was flowing from Eden through a garden. And this beautiful river is an ancient understanding of Jewish readers. When they read this, they immediately knew that this river flowing through a garden would be its life source. It would be the very thing that would provide it with lush gardens, beautiful trees, and fruit that would come forth to provide sustenance for mankind. It was fruitful. It was lush. It was abundant. This imagery of a river flowing is as much prophetic as it would be geographic. It was a natural manifestation of a spiritual reality because if you pay attention to biblical geography, then you will come to realize that the four rivers that divided away from the main source. It was one river when it was in the garden, but when it left the garden, it became four. And if you go through the Bible and you look at the geography of where those four divided rivers started headed, you'll find out quickly that it was flowing into the nations that would be the biggest problems for God's people. Gihon is the name of the spring that would go into Jerusalem. Havilah is where Hagar experienced a stream of water on her way back to Egypt. The Tigris is a river that was running through Assyria, and the Euphrates supplied fresh water for Babylon. These rivers would be the four biggest contenders in the Bible. You had Jerusalem, who had a natural source of water, because in the ancient world, you did not build a city just anywhere. You built it next to water sources because it would provide you with abundance. It would provide you with trees. It would provide you with fruit so that you could be sustained. And these four rivers went into the Places that the Bible would say would be enemies unto God's people. Babylon, Assyria, and Egypt. So we see immediately in the Bible that coming out of the garden, and once we leave the garden, as I said, what goes from one river divides. Because anything that leaves the presence of God has no other choice but to be divided. The further we get from God's presence, the more divided you and I will become. Everywhere through the Bible where you find where there is division, it's always where people didn't visit altars anymore. And when you see division, you see that people weren't praying anymore. And it's not that prayer simply is the answer. Prayer gets us into the presence of God, and God becomes the answer. And we cannot idolize prayer. We idolize God, and we have to get to God through prayer. And when we get to him through prayer, we can begin to have a unified mind. And so these four rivers leave the garden, and it tells us a little glimpse of the identity and the personality of God. And he would stand back and he would say, yes, even for Egypt, I'll have life. Even for Babylon, I will send life rivers from Eden. Yes, even for Assyria, there will be life-giving waters that came from a garden for them. To your enemies, I will provide a flow. This is something that you and I must get going into 2022 because we are far too divided. If we could get a revelation that God provided life-giving waters from a garden for Israel's enemies, then you and I could get a revelation of what God would do in this end-time hour. What if I told you that there was an outpouring coming for Democrats? What if I told you that there was an outpouring reserved for independents? There was an outpouring reserved for people who got the vaccination and the ones who didn't. What if I told you that there was an outpouring for people who voted different than you, have different opinions than you? What if I told you that there was an outpouring for 
for other denominations. There's an outpouring that God is willing to put out in this world, and he's desperately trying to do it. But guess who he decided to use? He said, I will use my people to bring the river. The vision of God is clearly seen in Genesis 1.28 when he looks at Adam and Eve and he says, be fruitful, multiply, feel the earth and subdue it. Those words in Hebrew literally mean to go forth, be a king, have dominion. That's what I want you to do. Bring what is here in Eden out there. Eden is not an isolated event. Eden is a worldwide event. And the way I want to get Eden there is I need you to bring it. Do you know what the word apostolic means? That word literally means a sent one. And it always makes me chuckle a little bit when people say, we had apostolic church. And me being the instigator that I naturally am, gifted by God, I look at them and I say, what do you mean by that? They said, boy, we had knock down, drag out church. And I said, no, no, that's not apostolic. That's edification. That felt good. You are not apostolic until you're sent. You cannot be apostolic until you go out there. You are not apostolic in this room. This is edifying. This is us championing one another's on. But you do not become apostolic until you take the experience you got in this place when you were edified and you bring edification to Starbucks. This vision of expanding the Eden Project would be executed through the medium of mankind. I don't know why God chose the vehicle of a human to propagate the gospel. That's his idea, not ours. It seems horribly efficient to send forth fallible humans. He must have had confidence, though. He must have had faith in something that was made in his likeness and in his image. It said, go ahead, go be like me. Go forth, show what my image is like. This is why it baffled God to see people bowing down to images because he looked at them and he said, why would you bow down to something? You're already the highest image in the world. Why would you bow down to anything less? Do you understand what you are that when you walk outside into the world, there is a whole host of demonic beings that bow and say, behold, the image of God is here amongst us. There's nothing we can do because they're here. Do you know what it is when a Holy Ghost filled child of God walks into the workplace where it seems like carnality exists this you just brought Eden there the natural flow of God has been reversed it's a backward system though because sin entered the pages of our Bible it is now an upside down world if you will we see that this river that was flowing got backwards when sin entered the picture and we see the sin begin to multiply throughout the Bible in fact Genesis 4 23 it says Ada and Zillah hear my voice you wives of Lamech it's a funny word that name Lamech it means king spelled backwards the word king in Hebrew is Melech, and this is Lamech. This is an inverted king. This is a backward society. And watch what this inverted, upside down, backward, going against the flow king says. He says, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If my great, 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 great grandfather Cain could kill a man and God forgive him, then here's what will happen to me. God will avenge me 77 fold. You see what happens in a backward society? Grace gets 
abused. The grace that was given to my great-great-grandfather Cain for killing a man, I can abuse that grace and I can do more of what I want to do in this backward society. Because when sin enters a picture, the river starts going the opposite direction. Grace is now abused. Kings are now backwards. We have an inverted, upside-down, backward cesspool of a society. And we begin to see that all of this begins to boil to a head and it rises to an apex according to Genesis 6 when the Bible says the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But there was one man in that society, the Bible said he found grace is what it says in Hebrew. There was one man who found grace with God and Noah's name in Hebrew means rest and his father prophesied his existence at the age of 777 years old. He said, God will send the land rest by pouring out something. There's going to be an overflow. There's going to be a flood that comes through this land. And when it floods this land, there will be something that will emerge. God's going to send rest to this weary land. And there's something going to emerge that's going to take place and it's going to change our society. And he'll bring it through a human after the flood, the Bible says that that ark lands on the top of Mount Ararat, which in Hebrew means Mount Cursed. And on that cursed hill, there was an altar built and the smoke began to rise up as a sweet smelling savor. And God said, I smell a sacrifice from an altar on a cursed hill. I will reverse the inverted flow and I'll heal this land. And hear the, the familiar words that he tells a man named Rest. He tells him in Genesis 9, God blessed Noah and his sons. And he looks at them and you should remember these words. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We're going to kickstart this Eden thing all over again. Noah, bring rest to your land. You've already seen the overflow that I would send. Get it to the flow of what my spirit is doing. Rest, I'm going to send you forth. Be fruitful, fill the earth. And Noah began to be a farmer because that's what we were called to do was to bring forth harvest. And he planted a vineyard. Here it is, out of rest out of Noah, out of an overflow, we're about to see Eden emerge in our world finally. All of a sudden, though, sin hits the pages yet one more time in verse 21. Then he drank of the wine, the fruit of something he participated in and was drunk and he became uncovered. His nakedness was his shame, just like Adam and Eve. And we're seeing the garden repeat itself. The Eden ideal is put on halt yet one more time. Drunk from the fruit of the vine, just like his forefathers and naked and ashamed about it was also his destiny. Sin has once again disrupted the flow of a supernatural source of life that was meant for the nations. We see the nations of the entire world are one people in Genesis 11. So all the people come together and the Bible says in Genesis 11, let us go to, let us build us a tower and let us make our name great. And God comes down because God is attracted to unity. Why? Why is he attracted, Sister Haman, to unity? Because that's his identity. He always goes where there is oneness. He says, huh, that looks like me down there. And he comes down to the midst of one people. And he says, I love the unity. However, the purpose is all wrong. 
You've come together in oneness, and I love that about you, but your purpose is askew. You have made this about you, and you're building a tower to make your name great. And so what does he do? He disperses them into the nations. Out of that, out of Ham, Shem, and Japheth, Noah's sons, came Assyrians, Egyptians, and Babylonians, as well as Israelites. And they're all assembled here, and God says they're all together, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Israelites. This is like heaven right here. But wait a minute, they've gotten arrogant. They've lost my identity. They're one, but they're not together. Hear me right now. Football teams are one. Baseball teams gather in oneness, but their purpose is not the same. They can achieve a lot, but they can't achieve supernatural things. That's what we're looking for. We're looking to come together in oneness to achieve something supernatural. Here's what we're trying to do. When we come to church as a body of one believers, we're trying to bring heaven down. We're trying to bring Eden into the room. And that's almost what's happening at Babel. But they said, let's build a tower. Let's make our name great. Rather than bringing heaven down, let's make our name great and go up to heaven. Let's build a tower so high that we can reach the heavenly so that we could say, look what we did on our own accord. And God comes down and he disperses the nation. He says, I'm going to divide you by a tongue. Is God about division? No. God gave them over to the division they were already participating in. And one chapter later, though, there was another group of people. Comes through the tribe of Abram, and he says, come out here, Abram. And he leaves his nation, leaves his people. He comes out of the pseudo-flow, out of the backwards, upside-down, warped cesspool of a society. And he goes out into the wilderness. He says, yes, God, what do you want from me? And he says, build an altar, not a tower. He says, absolutely, I'll build an altar. Now what? Exalt my name, not yours. And he lifts up the name of Jesus, the name of God in the Old Testament. And he begins to worship him right there in that wilderness. And God says, here's what I'll do now because you know my name. I'll make your name great. And listen to what it says in the next verse. It says that I will use you to bring blessings to the nations. And you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through you, you're going to bring Eden to everybody else. Abram, I'm going to use you to bring a flow to everybody else. I'm going to use you to bless the nations. Please, whatever you do, preach to your children. Preach to your grandchildren. Let them know that this isn't about building a big church. This isn't about you just being separate. This isn't about you just being called Israel. This isn't about you, Israel. This is about Israel going to nations and bringing Eden to them. The entire mission and calling on you Abraham is to bring what's in you to Egypt to bring it to Assyria to bring it to Babylon I want to bless the entire world I'm still trying to bring about Eden on this earth and I'm going to use a human to bring it about immediately he begins to show that he still is willing to use humans in this expansion project of the Eden ideal. I'm going to use a human. It's horribly inefficient, but I'm going to do it anyway because they're in my image and I love them and I trust them. God, the source of all living and the one through whom we are fruitful, needed a man, a nation of people that was unified with the source of life, that was underneath the flowing of the Spirit, and to reverberate that and bring that flow everywhere they went. God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, chose us for this project when you become one with the source you can become a blessing to the nations 
People who would swim against the flow of carnality and corruption would be people like Joseph who turned Egypt into an oasis even though it was a famine. God said, I'm going to use you, Joseph, to make sure that there's food here in this place, in this secular place, in this non-Israelite place. I'll use you, Joseph, to bring it about. God used people like Jeremiah who stood up and told Israel while they were being held captive in the foreign land of Babylon. Jeremiah 29, watch what he says. He stands up and he tells the people who are Slaves, Babylon is abusing them at this point. And the prophet stands up and he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused. Oh, wait. Wait a minute. God has the power to bring about problems? God can bring about a problem to bring a blessing to a nation? God can bring about a pandemic to get us out of a building? Well, let's see what this God can do. Whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses here. Dwell in them. Plant gardens. Starting to sound familiar? Eat fruit. Bring Eden to Babylon. Take wives. Beget sons and daughters. Take wives for yourselves. And give your sons and daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters. That they may be increased here and not diminished. Seek the peace of the city. Are you following what's happening here? Let me put it in layman's terms for you. Jeremiah, come and listen to me. Yes, God, what do you want me to say? Tell Israel to plant a church in Babylon. They were too comfortable with their own religion, isolated to themselves in Israel, so I brought problems to bring them to Babylon. Because if you remember, I had water reserved for Babylon. It was flowing out of the garden to them centuries ago. And you got it plugged up. You kept the waters in Israel. And you never brought about the fruitfulness to Babylon. And so what I'm going to do is it looks like I'm mean. It looks like I'm allowing problems. It looks like I'm cruel. It looks like I've forgotten you. No, what I'm doing is I'm apostolicking you. I have sent you. Bring some peace to this city. You're the answer here. Don't let Babylon, don't let their mistreatment cause you to mistreat them. You're not Babylon. You're Israel. And you must bring what Israel is like to Babylon so that the Babylonians can become like Israel because this has always been about the nations. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. Pray to the Lord for it. Intercede for Babylon. I've put intercessors here to pray for the lost of this city. Don't get mad at Babylon. This is what sinners do. Sinners sin. Israel, pray for them. You're after all in one of the lands where there's water flowing from Eden. Look down the river, see that? That came from my garden. Every time they drink from the water that they try to sustain themselves with, little do they know that it comes from Eden where I always wanted them to come anyway. They are the ones that got away from me. I'm trying to get my sons and daughters back. While the negative, 
saw enslavement. Jeremiah saw opportunity to plant a church in a secular place. And he said, God, don't send a deluge here in the natural. Send one in the supernatural. Let us be the deluge. Let us be the overflow. Let us flood this place with who you are here in Babylon. The full correction of the flow would be prophesied through Isaiah. Watch what he says in Isaiah 2, verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house, mind you, the mountain, it's a high place. Watch what he says. It shall be established on top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above all the hills, and all nations shall flow up to it. How does a river go up the mountain? How is the river going to flow back up to him? We're going to have to finish the story. Let's see how this whole thing unfolds. This vision came to pass when a man who claimed to be God walked amongst us. Jesus would show up in a secular society. He would then call fishermen to park their boats, hang up their nets, and fish in a different flow. That's not the flow for you anymore. Come out here. Let me show you where I've called you to go into. I'm going to get you into a different river, Peter. I'm going to put you into a different flow, John. You think this pulling in fish is amazing, John? Wait till you write a book of Revelation. Wait till you see what I can show you from my holy mountain, John. But put down the nets in order to see it. He would then reveal his identity to a woman near a well one day. A woman whom the Jews would have hated. A Samaritan, a half-breed, a half-Jew, half-nation. And they would hate these people. And Jesus would say, what are you talking about? That's my daughter. John 4, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. It seems like when God is reaching for other ethnicities and people we don't like, we're nowhere around. Wherever he's at, I've made up my mind I want to be there. And I have found out he's not up here in the pulpit all the time. I have found out he's most often... He's most often sitting next to a bedside when somebody's dying and their family's all around and he's where waiting on somebody to bring a flow of the Holy Ghost and to weep with those that weep and to rejoice with those that rejoice at a wedding. He is waiting on us to get out there and bring the flow to Babylon, to Assyria, and to Egypt. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, what are you doing here? And Jesus says, I'm planting a church. I am, after all, the tabernacle. And so I'm the church. I'll plant myself right here by this river. And I'm going to reveal something to you today, someone of another ethnicity, other nation. Ask a drink for me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me drink, you would have asked me, and I would have given you something else. I am Eden I have water that will change your life. Something is inside of me brewing, and it's about to pour out. But right now, this is going to be an isolated event. At some point in the future, I already know it, and that's what I'm here for. It's going to fall out on everybody. But right now, it's for you. He would invite us into his glory. He would show us also that he is not an inverted king. Just like Lamech would say, if I kill a man in this backwards, upside down cesspool of a society, I'll be avenged 77 fold. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm king of kings. That's not true. You're supposed to forgive somebody 70 times seven. The inverted king thinks he can do whatever he wants. 
He thinks he can kill and he'll be avenged. No, no, I'm here to tell you that you need to forgive people. I am, after all, not inverted. I am king of kings. I'm here to take the flow that's been going against the system and I'm trying to invert it and get the flow going back into the direction it was supposed to be. I'm trying to fulfill Isaiah 2, verse 2. I'm trying to get the nations going that way, flowing back up. I'm trying to get the rivers to go back to the garden because outside of the garden, they're divided. But if I can get them back into one source, if they could be one as I am one, that's a novel idea then I think this whole system would work. He would invite us not only to drink of the water, but be so full of it that it would explode pour, pour, pouring forth from us. According to John 7, he said, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirits whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But Jesus wouldn't just talk about it. This was not just good messages. This was something he would exemplify. If I can get a wash basin, if I can get that, that water. And someone just bring me a chair, just set it right here. In fact, just sit on, the, sit on these steps right here. Jesus was not just coming to preach good messages. Jesus was not just coming into the earth to show off. He was not a performer either. He did not come here just to show off with how many miracles he could perform. He was not here to gloat with all of his powerful revelations. He was here to stoop. He was here to get us into a flow. Jesus was going with the correct flow. Jesus was oneness coming out of the garden. And oneness when it leaves garden doesn't divide. Oneness coming out of the garden is still oneness. And he says, I am one. God let them see that they are one as we are one. I never divided when I left the garden. I left the garden to come to this cesspool. And I'm going to bring rivers of living water here while still being one. Let them realize that if they could be one, they could do the same. So let me exemplify it. Before we get there, let me teach you about what I'm going to do. This is my body. I want you to grab that communion cup and stay seated. I want you to just grab it and I want you to just peel that top off. Jesus is at the Last Supper. He's getting ready to exemplify some things, getting ready to show us some things. And he says, I need you to get a revelation of my body. I need you to embrace my body. I need you to love this body. And so here, see this bread? This is my body. I am the bread of life. And here's what's about to happen to this body. I hope you'll still like the body of Christ because here's what it's going to turn into and he breaks the body and in that moment he's probably thinking to I hope they still like this body when it's broken I hope they still crave this body when there's no miracles in it I hope they still come after this body when it's bleeding I hope they still seek my body when it's not preaching I hope they come and take this body when there's no affirmation in it what will they do with this body here Will you partake of my body? And they said, yes, Lord, we're on fire. We want to preach. I had a vision the other day, God, and I had a vision that I built a big church running 2,000. I had a vision that I was preaching Youth Congress. And Jesus is sitting there thinking to himself, who's going to have vision of what I'm about to do next, though? Who's about to have a vision of dying for people? Who's about to have a vision of what, the way we're going to end this communion? Okay, they're going to be offended in me in a moment. 
And so they say, yes, boy, we're ready to take on your body. So they eat the bread. Go ahead, partake of his body. Even the broken pieces of Christ. And he says, oh, okay, here it is. You've done it. You have ingested me. Now, take, take of this drink, for this is my blood. I'm about to drink from sin for you. Can you drink of my blood for me? Yes, Lord, we're ready. Because I believe we're going to build a big church. I believe wherever we go, there's going to be signs everywhere. I believe that we're never going to have another problem again. I believe that everywhere we go, where our foot treads, there's going to be a wake of bodies falling because we're so anointed. I don't think you're going to send us to Babylon, though. Okay, just drink of my blood. My spirit will give you strength for what's about to happen next. And so they do. They kick back and they say, yeah, Lord, we're ready. Drink the blood. It's easy to partake in the body of Christ when he's preaching. Go ahead, drink, the, drink from the blood. Oh, it's easy, isn't it? It's easy when God's doing all kind of good things for you. Hashtag living your blessed life. Oh, it's easy to partake of the body of Christ when he's pouring stuff out for you all the time. By the way, have you read the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are hated. Well, you don't see that on Instagram when you see hashtag blessed, do you? You see a Corvette. You see preachers and sneakers, don't you? You see living your best life. Oh, yeah, give me the bread, give me the wine, let me kick it back. I can, I can partake of the body of Christ so long as the blessings are flowing. You know what you are? You're not a bride, you're a gold digger. Oh, there it is. You are not the bride of Christ through sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer or poor. You're in this for what he'll do for you, not what you'll do for him. And so Jesus said, okay, good, you partook in my body. Well, let me show you what the rest of it looks like. One of you is about to betray me. Brother, if I can just get you to come up here. One of you is going to betray me. Who's it going to be? Is it me, God? And God says, oh, I'm not going to reveal that to you. Go ahead, sit down. And Jesus comes along. And the Bible says he takes up a towel. This takes on a whole new weight when you understand that Jesus is God. And that he had all knowledge that Judas was about to kill him, betraying him. This puts God into a whole new vantage point for me that the cross didn't just happen upon Jesus. He was in full knowledge of the cross and he still went up to the upper room. By the way, this is the room where Pentecost would take place in 50 days. You don't get to the room of Pentecost until you can go through the room of breaking of bodies and drinking of blood and this part right here. Here it comes. Jesus, the Bible said, he took a towel. He girded himself, and this is what he did. He went one by one to each of them. John, it's easy to wash the feet of John. He's been sitting on my lap. He's the one who loves me. He is the beloved disciple. Real easy. It's easy to wash your feet. It's easy to wash the feet of the ones we like. Peter, a little harder for you because you're a little obstinate, but man, I love you. I love your passion. I love everything that you're about to do. Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. Yes, Lord. Or no, Lord, don't wash my feet. Well, this, is, this is irrelevant. This is all pointless. This is just a Jewish custom. And Jesus said, you have no idea of what I'm about to do next. This is symbolic. I am cleansing you, even the lowest part of your body that is the most filthy. 
This is symbolic of what I'm about to do on a cross that you don't want me to go to. You want me to sit on a throne and rule with a scepter and a crown. And you've been arguing who's going to sit on my left and right. Peter, I've got a very provocative revelation for you. I've got two thieves that are going to sit there. The crown, you're not going to like it. The throne, you're going to like even less. This is for your cleansing in the future. And so what this will symbolize is that you are redeemable. I can cleanse you. That's what this symbolizes. But here's the most provocative part. Judas, come sit down, son. Take off your shoes. Judas, I already know what you're about to do. And this is what I'm doing. I'm just going with the flow. The biblical flow. Not the one that your culture, because the culture says, don't do this. The culture is saying, don't wash your feet, Judas. And I'm not about the culture. I'm about kingdom. And the Bible is telling me that I'm supposed to do this even for my enemies. Do you think that I was just up there preaching? Bless those who despitefully use you? No, I'm here to live it as well. I didn't just preach those things. I'm here to do those things. And my disciples won't even know what I'm like unless I do this. So Judas, if you walk away, I want you to remember the last one who touched your feet. Judas, Peter, John, watch this. Church of 2021, going into 2022, you better pay attention to this part because he tells you, he did not just give this as an example. He said, you ought to do this. This is what he's saying. Everybody's redeemable. Yes, even Judas, especially Judas, this is for you. This is what the flow looks like. Peter, you didn't want this, did you? When you partook of my body, you accepted serving my body. Peter, this is my body. John, look around you. This is my body. When you did it unto them, you did it unto me. This is my body. If you're going to crave me, if you're going to come into church and raise your hands and say, oh, God, I love you. I want to praise you. You better go out there because that's my image. Do you know what foot washing would symbolize? Judas, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. The devil can enter somebody else, Judas. The devil can go find somebody else. There's plenty of people that they can sift. And so this is my last ditch effort to let you know that you can be redeemed. But here, my image is a self-will. Judas, there it is. I've cleansed your feet. What will you do with the redemption? Judas chose to squander the redemption and to walk away. And that's what's going to happen to some of you. And Jesus never got jaded. He went to the cross and he looked and said, Judas went through with it. I don't regret the foot washing though. I don't regret the love I poured out on him. I don't regret pouring out to him.
I don't regret one second taking that wash basin and pouring out. And so if I can bless the one who would kill me, here's where the flow will go. Come here. I can even bless a centurion. Go ahead. Stab me in the side if you want to. Someone from another nation. Watch what happens. What poured out of Jesus? Water. Even for Rome. Even for the ones who's bringing forth democracy. Even for this centurion, the first one to sit under the flow of water that would pour out from the Savior would be an enemy of the cross, the one who brought about the cross. And he said, I don't know about this, Jesus. I'm just following orders. And a sinner would sin, and he would pierce the body of Christ. And Jesus said, yes, even for you, Rome, even for you, Pilate, even for you, Judas, for everybody, this is what I came to do. And I implore my body to go and be what I am. If I washed feet, what do you think I expect from my church? Stand with me. Brother, I want you to stay right here. Ministers, I want you to come to the front. You need to understand that I'm not just preaching because I can read a Bible. I'm not just preaching because I had to put something together for watch night. I've been the recipient of the water because three years ago, four years ago now, this October, my wife and I, withstood the greatest devastation we would ever withstand at the loss of our three-year-old son in a house fire. And we mourned and we wept. And do you know who came and poured out on us? The church came to us. I am here preaching tonight because the Holy Ghost is powerful, but the Holy Ghost trusted the body of believers to restore me. They came to me in my brokenness, in my depression, in my angers, in my lashing out. I would have people come stand by me in a living room and I would be so frustrated. When I was mad at people, they sat with me. When my wife was mad at God, they sat with her. And here we stand today preaching the gospel because somebody brought the flow. Now watch what happens. This is all our favorite scripture, isn't it? Acts 2. But when you read it in light of the foot washing, something stands out. You remember Babel? You remember the dispersing of the languages because of the nation of people that wanted to make their name great? Well, finally, some people are in an upper room where there was a foot washing episode. They're now standing there, and they're in one accord. They're in one place. And suddenly, God said, yes, there I am. They've come together. And he falls down in that place. And he says, what drove you away when the oneness is right? 
and the purpose is right, I will bring you together. And the rivers started flowing upstream. And watch what it says. And when this sound occurred, it was in verse 5, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, look, are not all of these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear? And how is it that we know each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking. Do you know what's happening? The nations were flowing up to the garden. And it came about through a group of people in a room where there was foot washing and they came together. Brother Haman, this is where we're about to have the altar call. Do you know where this was birthed? Just before the pandemic, I was in prayer. And while I was in prayer, I was seeking the Holy Ghost as I do. And I was saying, God, I know what you've called me to do. You give me a vision right now and you speak to me what's coming, what's about to befall the church. And I had a vision in that moment. And in that vision, I saw a hurricane land. And this hurricane began to swirl and it began to just cause trash and filth to fly everywhere. And I saw trash flying against. I saw houses falling down. I saw houses divided in this vision. And in the, in the winds, I saw all kinds of things. I saw masks. I didn't even know what, it was, what I was seeing. I saw masks flying around. And I thought, my God, why am I seeing masks in this vision? I saw shots swirling around. And I saw multiple ethnicities and wars. I saw police officers. And I saw all these things. And it just left an entire wake of devastation. And then I saw a river starting to flow backwards. And so I went online and I looked it up. And during a hurricane, the mighty Mississippi flows in another direction. But it only happens during a hurricane. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, you prophesy to my church that I'm about to send problems. He said, you tell my people that I'm about to allow some things. And I said, God, what are you going to allow? He said, I'll reveal it in time. He said, but what it's going to do is it's going to allow what's been going the wrong direction to be redirected and flow back the way it was always designed to flow. And I didn't know what that meant until I saw masks and people warring over a four-inch piece of cloth in the church. We're having wars, people drawing battle lines over shots. It makes no sense. We are the people of God. Paul dealt with this in Corinthians. They were battling over meat. And he said, if it offends your brother to eat meat, don't eat it. If you do eat it, don't tell your brother about it. Because it might offend him. Just keep that to yourself. If you feel to get the shot, get the shot. But don't tell anybody about it because it might offend them. Why are we battling? Because we have an axe to grind on social media. But you know what this is all doing? The river that was going the wrong direction has adversely started going the right direction. And God spoke to me, he said, tell them going into 2022 that things are about to start changing. And this is what I know in the Holy Ghost. What God spoke to me was the other day, we got bombed in our pajamas is what happened. Just a couple days ago, I was talking to my wife and I was praying and the Lord revealed to me, I said, God, what has happened to us? What has befallen the church? He said, oh, don't get mad. He said, the same thing happened to Pearl Harbor. They got taken by surprise. But when America assembled themselves, yeah, there it 
This is what they said. They said, all I fear we've done is awaken a sleeping giant. We got bombed in our pajamas with this whole pandemic. We haven't known. We've been trying to collect ourselves. We've been trying to figure it out. We've never had church in a pandemic. We haven't known what to do. And so after all of that, we're finally getting our feet under ourselves. God told me to tell the church that they're finally getting their footing back. And he said, tell them to unify. You tell them to stop fighting over things that aren't going up in a rapture. You tell them to start washing each other's feet. You tell them that everybody is redeemable. You tell them that they can reach the lost right now easier than they ever have. Tell them to stop listening to CNN. Tell them to stop listening to Fox. And you tell them that their world is redeemable. Tell them to wash feet. Lift your hands right now. This is what I feel in the Holy Ghost to do. We need to learn good old-fashioned intercession again in our churches. We need to learn how to intercede on behalf of people who we don't agree with. We need to learn how to intercede for the Kamala Harris, the Joe Biden, the Donald Trumps. We need to learn how to intercede for the Republican, the Independent, the Democrat, our boss down the road who didn't give us the, the raise we wanted, our neighbor. We need to learn how to intercede for Babylon, intercede for Assyria. I want you right now to open up your soul and say, God, I need you to begin to pray through me. I want to bring the reality of heaven down here. So church, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray like you've never prayed before. If you got to come to an altar to do it, if you got to kneel down and do it, whatever you do, I want you to allow a flood to come out of your soul and let it begin to fill this building up. And what happens every time a saint of God intercedes, it spills out of the building and it starts to trickle down to 4th Street. It finds its way to someone who's contemplating suicide and someone who is not even in the room feels glory hit their house and they don't know where it came from but they put a gun down because somebody was praying we need to bring back 2022 we need to bring back intercession while everybody out there is trying to make America great we need to make the kingdom great and we need to make intercession popular again